Well, in case it did escape you, today is 4th of July. I thought it would be a good day to talk about freedom. You know, what a wonderful time that we celebrate in our nation. We celebrate freedom. You know, the day we set aside to celebrate that Declaration of Independence where we were emancipated from Great Britain. And uh, now the fight wasn't over. It was just a piece of paper at the time. But then sometimes I think that happens in our, in our kingdom living too. We step into emancipation, this freedom we have in Jesus, but the fight ain't over yet. Uh, there's, there's a whole life. And, and I, I heard someone say one time, it was bad teaching, and I think if they paused, they probably would have changed their mind too. They said, I don't know what you're talking about, about spiritual battles. There's no such thing because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But I thought, well, the Holy Spirit inspired after the cross and after the resurrection. Paul to write, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realms. And so there is a, bi- a fight. So put on the whole armor of God. Uh, because when you put on the whole armor of God, you will withstand the wiles and the tricks of the devil. And so we want, we want that. We want that shield of faith wherewith you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so the word of God equips us to be overcomers and to win the fight. Well, I do want to say this. There are people who would tell you that this nation is no good. You ever see that on the news anymore? We're done. We're awful. It's a horrible place to live. It's horrific. You know, nothing good's going to happen. Really? Uh, I think we live on the greatest nation on the face of the planet, and we are a blessed people. I often think about this because I heard a gentleman say one time, I can't remember if it was a preacher, politician, or a news anchor, or whatever, it's been so long ago. He said, I judge a nation's greatness by how many people are fighting to get in and how many people are fighting to get out. Well, I don't see a lot of people fighting to get out, but I see a whole lot of people fighting to get in. And even if they say our nation is awful, and by the way, I'm not saying everybody says that, but some do. Obviously, we're not saying that. But if the nation is so awful, why are people risking their lives to get in here? People of color, minorities, immigrants trying to get in. Some try and get in illegally. They, they just, I need to get in. That's a place where there's opportunity and there's promise for me and there's hope for me. And I'm telling you, they don't believe the bad press because millions and millions of people are trying to get in here. So they're not buying into it, and we don't need to buy into it either. We have a wonderful, wonderful land, and we need to celebrate it. And it stays wonderful, and will only get better when more and more people know the freedom of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is a great liberator. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, I want to say this. Everything perfect in this nation? Absolutely not. Nor any nation on the face of the planet. It's not perfect. So should we do better? Absolutely. We as the church should do better, especially. We should activate the royal law of love in our lives. We should be living the, the golden rule. We should make sure that anybody of race, color, creed, whatever, religion, whatever, we're going to love them. We're going to love them. We're, we're going to serve. We're going to have a right heart. We're going we're to have the heart of Jesus towards people. So can we do better? Absolutely. Have we made tremendous strides? Yeah. If you know anything about the last 100, 150 years of history, we've made incredible strides, but there's more. And Jesus is at the root of it, and he will help us do those things. But there's something even better than, than the freedom of a nation and, and patriotism and celebration, which I'm not opposed to. I, you know, I heard, I've heard this a couple times, and both, both people's hearts were good. They said that they would not say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And here's why they wouldn't say it, and, and, and I, I got it where their heart was going, but it's, it's, they need to think a little further. They wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag because it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. And they said they will pledge no allegiance except to Jesus. But I want to say this. 
you all, and myself too, pledge all kinds of allegiances in our lives. If the allegiance pledge said, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America above any other thing in the cosmos, I would say, I don't, I'm not going to say that either, because my first allegiance is to God. But you have an allegiance to your favorite sports team. You have an allegiance to your alma mater. You have an allegiance, I hope, to your family and to your loved ones and to your friends. You, you have an allegiance to your favorite automobile. When I was growing up, there were Ford and Chevy fights. I mean, you could almost get in fist fights over which was better, Ford or Chevy. And, and in, the, uh, um, in the farming world, it used to be John Deere and International Harvester. Is, is that still, you guys still fist fight over that, Bob? Do what? He doesn't remember, okay. Uh, so we have all kinds of allegiances. But I'll tell you, there's an awesome allegiance. You might have learned this in, in Vacation Bible School because there would be another flag we would pledge to and it'd say, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. It's not the flag, it's the Savior, the kingdom who stands. And man, when I start thinking about the kingdom and I start thinking about Jesus, I get excited because I, I know this. There's something so much greater than any earthly kingdom. Let me list you some kingdoms that ruled the known world at the time. The Babylonians. Where are they now? The Assyrians. The Hittites. The Persians. Egypt. The Roman Empire ruled the world at Jesus' time. Now there is, is a city in Italy named Rome. There is no Roman Empire. In recent history, the British ruled the... This is a true say. We, they ruled the seven seas, and they did... They don't anymore. I don't know how long the United States of America will be on the top of their game. I think it will depend upon what believers do going after God. But I know this. We have a Savior, Jesus, whose kingdom is eternal. And guess what? One day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And Jesus will reign forever. The government will forever be on his shoulders. And he will reign in righteousness and justice and do what's right. <laughs> we got a good day ahead, my friends. And it's, it's better. Amen. Yeah. It is better than, again, I don't mind you being patriotic. I'm not against it. I'm just saying our kingdom's even better than that. A kingdom that will last forever. What a great, a great king we serve. There's a, a, a freedom that comes in Jesus, that I want us to possess, that I want us to hold on to, that I want us to have. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has, what? Set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, by the way, just a little pause. I don't know if we got Facebook Live up and operating. Uh, our router just before service just went down. You know, that's how technology sometimes works. And uh, there's thousands and thousands of people disappointed right now as they're looking at their screen. And I say, never steal us pastors' fantasies, you know, that there's the, the, all over the globe, there's people tuning in. Uh, so if it is backing up, sorry, Facebook people. So this freedom that we have in Jesus is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is for freedom. Freedom, Don't, I want you to get that. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. Here's our responsibility. Stand firm then in that freedom. Stand firm then and don't allow yourself, don't let, don't permit. See our responsibility there? Don't allow, don't let, don't permit yourself. 
And look at the choice of words here. They're not accidental. Don't, don't allow yourself to be back under the burden that you be burdened with a yoke of slavery. Burdened. No one likes to be burdened. If you've ever been burdened, it's not a good thing. He said, I don't want you to be burdened under a yoke. A yoke was something we would put around a apparatus we put around the neck of a horse or or an ox to pull a load to plow or burden they would pull uh, a yoke of slavery we're not called to that we're called to freedom now these Galatian people were Gentiles which means non-Jewish people like us and somebody come in and said you know it's really good about Jesus but it's Jesus and the Jewish law and uh, Paul who was incredibly Jewish said no 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 and listen to what he said did God pour out his spirit upon you and work miracles among you because you obeyed Jewish law or because you believed what you heard? Because they believed what they heard. We got such a wonderful Savior. We want to work it up, though, don't we? we want, we're going to help God. We're going to make it happen. I understand that we have principles and priorities we should live in our lives, but we're trying to make our salvation happen. It never works. Even some well-meaning people came to Jesus and said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Their hearts were right. You know what Jesus said? Here's the work God requires. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. What a wonderful Savior. Believe in the one he has sent. So we're going to move ourselves towards freedom. And we're going to talk about some things that we're free from, but we're going to talk about things that we're also free to. We're not always free from just things, we're free to things. And the only hope we have for lasting transformation is Jesus. It's the forgiveness of Jesus. It's our only hope for lasting transformation. There was, um, I don't know if, I assume probably some tribes still exist like this today, but in the 1800s, there were a lot of cannibalistic tribes in South Africa. And missionaries went to them to share the gospel. True stories, missionaries went to share the gospel. And many of them were killed and eaten by these cannibals. Bishop Hamilton went to a cannibalistic village, shared the gospel, and they, they ate him. And two of his sons came and kept falling on the mission and actually led to Jesus Christ, the people who had digested his father. Think, think about that. And one day a social anthropologist, now anthropology is kind of a cool thing, I think, is you st anthropologists study like social norms and cultural norms and what's normal in different cultures and societies. And so he came upon this person who was kind of the cook for the village and he was, had pots stirring and had all kinds of things going. And so he began to engage him and said, you, you guys used to be uh, cannibals and now you're not. I mean, that's a huge change of your, your cultural norms. And said, what, what happened? And he said, missionaries came here and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we became believers in Christ, and almost the village entirely are Christians and serve the Lord. And it changed the way we lived. This particular anthropologist was an atheist and said, I just don't really see real value in religion. I mean, it seems like it's folklore and fairy tale, and if we get it out of the way, the world would be a better place. And that ex-cannibal looked at him and said, you may not think that Christianity and Jesus can cause tremendous transformation, but if it wasn't for him, I'm very serious, you would be the next thing I'd be stirring in this pot. <laughs> Jesus does transform. Jesus does transform our lives. He, he tells us that even. In Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news 
good news. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Freedom for the prisoners. And that's just not people bound up in jail cells. Some of us here have prisoners. We're prisoners in our own mind, heart, shame, whatever it is. And, and Jesus has a message of freedom. Recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. To set the oppressed free. I often wonder when I read the word of God, what if I and you and all of us would really believe what the Bible teaches? Because we read that, it's a beautiful verse. We might even make a painting out of it and put it on the wall. But then we walk around oppressed. Jesus came to set the oppressed free. I wonder what would happen if we ever really believed that Jesus could still do what he said he could do, that he can set the oppressed free. I'm not making light of your oppression. I tell people, get health and healing any direction you can get it. But let's not leave out that Jesus wants to set us free from oppression and that we can have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and lives. Jesus also in John 8, 31, 32, Jesus, to the Jews who had believed him. Now, there's a very important process to it. To the Jews who had believed him. If we read this whole chapter, you'd find out there weren't Jews. There were several Jews in the story that didn't believe, and it caused a, a, a problem here when Jesus speaks to these Jews that believed. He said, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, did you hear that? If you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. The idea of grabbing a hold of the word of God, putting it into practice in our lives, that's what disciples do. That's what disciplined ones do. They put it into practice. Me, you, all of us have had a time where we heard something and it motivated us. We got excited about it. We made great claims. We're going to do this. And we walk out the door and 30 minutes later, we only remember what it was we were going to do. Well, disciples need to get the word of God, hang on to it, and put it into practice in their lives. And so it says, if you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples, then, then's a connective word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, the word of God, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think it's so important that we, we often make sure we do keep scripture in context, because you hear me say all the time, information and knowledge is wonderful. But it has to start there. But if we have information and knowledge with no application to the information, then there's no transformation. Well, somebody could argue with me and say, well, the Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So as long as you have knowledge of it. No, knowledge is just the beginning part. And when you put the whole scripture in context, it says they believed in Jesus. And he said, if you're my disciples and you hold on to my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will liberate you. Jesus' teaching is wonderful liberation. But a lot of us are confused, what is freedom? We think freedom is the ability and right to do whatever we want, to be unbridled and unrestrained. I will promise you this. Listen to me. I will promise you this. It will end up causing you to have more bondage than freedom. Anytime you say, I want to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, then, and I don't want any restrictions, it will rob you of life, it will not expand your life. Jesus, truth teller, said this. I have come, one of the purposes that I came, I have come that you might have life to the fullest measure, overflowing, abundant. He wasn't trying to trick us. He wasn't trying to steal life. So one thing you'll find out about God, he already has everything. So you have nothing he has to have. Well, I, they, they look like they were going to go have a fun time. I've got to stop that. Because that's the way a lot of people picture God. Here's, here's what Christianity is. This is what a lot of people picture. It's not true, but here's what Christianity is. You come to Jesus so he can make sure that you will never have fun. You will never enjoy life. 
You'll never do anything that is pleasurable. But that isn't true. Jesus comes to give life. He's given us everything to enjoy, the Bible says. But it's all about what is the priority of Jesus? What does Jesus teach? What does his word teach? Because his word gives freedom. But when we violate scripture, we get shrunk up. See, if I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want it, if somebody was mean to me, what if I said, and could, I'll beat them within an inch of their life? Well, I could say that's what I felt like doing. That was my freedom. I should be able to do whatever I want. But it all sounds good until he put me in jail cell for 15 years. And I just realized that my violence did not expand my freedom. It confined my freedom. Same way with everything. I see this all the time as people dabble into alcohol and drugs and immorality and all kinds of things. They think, man, this is really living. And I want to say this. According to Scripture, you may have a fantastic time for a season. It appears that the prodigal, who got all the stuff from his dad, went off and squandered it on riotous living, on wine, women, and song. It appears that he probably had a really awesome time for a while. Until he ended up where? In the pig pen. Broke. Longed to fill his belly with what the pigs were eating. See, that's, that's always where the devil will take you. I'm serious about that. You may say, well, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just going to make you a promise what will happen. You will end up in the pig pen. Now, the good news is the prodigal came to himself, had a defining moment, said, what am I doing? My father's hired hands have it better off than I do. But I've met people that never come to that point. Their little season of dabbling in sin was just going to last them through their teenage years and then through their 20s, but then they turned 30 and then they turned 40 and then they turned 50 and then they turned 60 and then they turned 70 and then they turned 80. And then they died, and they never found that freedom. My mother had a great advice. It, it, I've shared it with you before. It's actually not technically logical, but you'll understand what she's saying. She said, the easiest way to break a habit is to never start one. The easiest way to break a habit is to never start one. How many millions and millions of people are caught up in bondage for something they started that was only going to be for a short season of time, just have a little fun, and they find out they're not having fun anymore? They, they're not having fun anymore. They've lost friends, they've lost family, they've lost their health, they've lost their, their, their self-respect, they've, they've lost their, their homes, they've lost their potential, they've lost their future, they've lost all of it over just a little something they were just going to have fun for a little bit of time. Well... We need freedom. One of the best things I've ever heard about freedom is that he who is the slave to the compass can enjoy the freedom of the seas. Wow, that's cool. You know, in the old days, not that I'm a, a sailor and know much about navigating, but you had the stars, you had telescopes, you had a compass, you had a sextant, you had all kinds of things to guide you. Today, I'm sure there's longitude, latitude, GPS, and all those kind of things. But can you imagine, you've got a new ship, you know how to sail, but you're saying, nobody's going to tell me what to do. No GPS, no chart, no map, no nothing. I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want to do, so you take off sailing. And since you don't want to submit to the navigational tools that are offered to you, you will probably perish out floating in the middle of the ocean somewhere. But by golly, you're free. You know, nobody told me what to do. And as you draw your last breath, you can sing, I did it my way. Okay, that, it's crazy, but there's people that want to live like that. I'd rather... I would rather be a slave to the GPS and enjoy the freedom of the seas. We got GPS in, in the Lord. 
and use that for freedom. So here's one of the things that I want to talk about being free from. Free from guilt. Now, guilt has a companion. They hang out together all the time. Guilt and shame. So I'm going to throw them both in there together. One of the first freedoms that we'll look for is freedom from guilt and shame. Hebrews 10, 18, and 22, the book of Hebrews is so rich. I mean, this Hebrews 10 could be a 10-week series, so, you know, we're going to really, like, abbreviate here. Uh, Hebrews was a book written to Hebrews, to Jewish people, to explain to them and show to them from Scripture that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, not only the Jewish Messiah, but the Messiah for all the world, for us too, non-Jewish people. He was the Savior of the whole world. So use a lot of Jewish imagery and stuff like this, which we're going to do in super miniature today. And so there's a couple things here that he's talking about, the writer of Hebrews. He says, and where these, now you read these, they, these what? Well, if we read the whole chapter, you would know these is referring to sins and lawless acts. So where these sins and lawless acts have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Did you hear that? Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now we'll say to ourselves, of course not. I'm not going to offer the, a sacrifice of a bull or a goat or uh, a dove or something like that. We're free from that. But we always still want to help God out. I have, I don't deserve this kind of forgiveness. You're telling me I've lived like Lucifer for 40 years and I gave my life to Jesus and now all's going to be okay and I'm forgiven? Why, well, that can't be enough. So we punish ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves. We say, I, I'm always going to live a second-class life. I'm never, I'm never going to be a real, you know, great believer. I'm never going to amount to much or have much, but that's okay. I'm saved and going to heaven. Hold it. Let me just tell you this. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven. There's no more sacrifice for sin. There's nothing you can add to it. And by the way, if you say, I'm going to skip Jesus, there is no other sacrifice for sin. Jesus is it. Well, I'm waiting for the next Savior. There isn't one. Our Savior's already done it all, risen from the the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he says it's done. There's there's nothing more going on here. But for those of you who say, but I have to do something, I'll give you something to do. Verse 22, let's draw near to God. There you go. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, not the assurance that a sacrifice would bring, but the the assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a what? A guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Again, super miniature. Uh, The high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. There was a tabernacle. It was a mobile tent that had this in it when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Solomon built a temple. There was a place inside there called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place where the presence of God was. And so a high priest went in one time a year and not without all kinds of preparation, not without ceremonial washing, not without the shedding of blood, not without this. So he sprinkled blood on all kinds of things, utensils, the entrance to the Holy of Holies, uh, even sprinkled out towards the people. He, he uh, had a linen garment on. He had to wash. Everything had to, and there was a ceremony washing. He had to wash his hands and his feet before he went in. And the whole concept was that the Holy of Holies if you stepped into Holy Holies and you weren't considered by God perfectly pure and holy, then you would fall dead in his presence. And so it's probably a pretty nerve-wracking thing. I'm sure the high priest went over the list 20 times, like, okay, I'm getting ready to step in. I want to make sure everything's okay. There wasn't this confidence. We have a confidence that, that, the, that Jesus brings. We have a confidence. And so what God's saying in these verses is that we can come into the Lord's presence anytime we want. And listen, he looks at you as if you are perfectly clean and holy you are clean inside and out 
And I can't tell you how many times I have to argue with people. Well, I just don't. That, that's why our gospel's great. That's why it's mine. That's why it's incredible. We have so great a gospel, so great a message. You are clean inside and out because of Jesus. If you want to skip Jesus, you got problems. If you have Jesus, you're clean on the inside and out. Your hearts have been sprinkled clean on the inside from a guilty conscience. Your bodies have been washed with pure water. And so you stand before the Lord pure and holy. I know it blows you away. I want you to get it. Please understand this. I am standing right now as holy and pure in Jesus as I'll ever be. Now, you could ask friends or family, and they might say, well, I know I'm a little better than you do, and trust me. No, I'm telling you how Jesus looks at me. How does Jesus look at me? 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I am a new creation in Jesus. Now, please hear this. Because I like to teach, I have a need to like over-teach, so I'll try to be careful. I'm not saying we should live however we want, and who cares? I'm saying we're, we're clean and holy. And in fact, I think if we saw ourselves as clean and holy, we'd want to live like clean and holy. When something's pure and holy, we want to keep it that way. Have you ever gotten a new pair of shoes? And you look down and you go, ooh, those look good. And you want to keep them that way, don't you? And then you're walking along, and you stub them, and you go, oh, man. You know, like, oh, I got a scratch on my shoe. What happened? They're clean. They're pure. They're, they're, they're nice. You want to keep them that way. If you'll see yourself as pure and holy before the Lord, I would hope we would want to keep it that way. We want to say, I want to live in such a way that reflects the holiness that I am. For the Bible says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that you and I could become, we didn't earn it, we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, here's another freedom we need. We need a freedom from self. This is a tough one. Self and self-centeredness is at the root of probably all sin. And so we try to improve ourselves. And actually, I'm not opposed to improving ourselves. You know, there's a, we read self-help books and listen to self-help tapes. And, and, and in perspective, I have no problem with that. If you can learn how to cook better or manage your finances better or manage your time better or be more effective or whatever, those are all self-help kind of books. In fact, there's a guy that walked into a bookstore one time, and he said um, to one of the clerks there, he said, could you direct me to the self-help aisle? And they said, well, that would kind of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? Okay, that's... That's the best I have today. <laughs> if, I, if I ever practice these before Darlene, she says, don't use that. But I can't help it. It's, it's the dad joke that comes out. So I have no problem with us wanting to improve ourselves. I get that. I'm for that. have no problem. But in the spiritual sense, we don't need a new and improved self. We need a dead self. We need to die to self. Now, I'm not talking about... Harming yourself physically, I'm talking spiritually, we need a new identity that comes from Jesus. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, a new creature. I like both of those translations, new creation, new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. You have a new self, a new identity. That's where so many things I think that we think about, like I'll have people talk to me about generational curses, and I get them in a certain level because I believe if you saw granddad and dad and great-granddad do things, and you'll tend to replicate those. But I don't believe, because I'm a new creation in Christ, that somebody can say, well, you're going to behave just like your great-granddad did. That's a curse on your life. No, curse is he who's hanged on a tree. Jeez, I've been liberated, freed from the curse. And I totally get 
that I might have had that modeled for me. Now I've got to break that modeling and that habit pattern. But spiritually speaking, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. Now again, I'm going to probably have to bear in to retrain myself to obey the word of God. And in that sense, there is somewhat of a curse or a generational thing that I've, I've learned or developed, but I'm free on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.15 is a Bible verse that will not get yourself excited. This isn't the Bible verse that makes people want to serve Jesus until they really understand what can come from it. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for whom? Themselves. Should no longer live for themselves. But we like living for ourselves. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. If you stop there, there's problems. But if you begin to understand, hold it, Jesus came to give life. So if I live for him, everything that violates scripture brings death. When we violate scripture, we produce sin. Sin in the end produces death. Jesus is always against sin because he's against death. He came to liberate us from death. I can't, you might have life. And so if we could ever think past just limited thinking, go, wow, so apparently if I do the word of God, it produces life in me. It produces life. So I'm not losing anything. I'm gaining when I do this. It's a lifelong process. I was thinking the other day and just really pondering this. I thought, how, how do we speed up the process of becoming more like Jesus? How do, we, how do we get the attitudes, the heart, the behavior of Jesus? And so I was pondering that, and I thought, I think I have a solution. Another solution that yourself will not like. You will grow in Christ at the speed of your obedience. And your obedience will cause you to die more to self. It just will. I want to say that again. You will grow to be like Jesus, and you'll mature in Christ at the speed of your obedience. How we're going to obey God. How we're going to say no to our flesh and yes to God. Again, if we stop there, we make, oh my goodness, I, I don't want to die to my flesh. Oh yeah, you do, because that's where we really live. We, we die. He who seeks to save his life shall lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake in the gospel ah, will find it. it it's, it's upside down to how the world thinks, but it's really right side up, because this world is God's. He's the creator. So we're not really slow to mature, technically, we're slow to obey. And we're slow to obey, I'm talking to me, you, and everyone else here, so don't get too smug about it. We, we're slow to obey because we enjoy ourself and we enjoy our sin. We enjoy ourselves, and we enjoy our sin. Some places we have to come along the line where I say, I will have more life if I lay this aside, if I put it aside. So the faster we learn to die to self and be alive in Jesus, the freer we become. Again, I'll make you another promise. I don't promise a lot. If you continue down a path of sin, it will not make you freer. It will make you more bound. And year after year and decade after decade, you'll watch the lives of others who are serving God grow and abound, and you'll start shriveling and shriveling and shriveling. And then Satan will come to you and whisper into your ear, look what God did to you. You know, there's a proverb that says this, People make a wreck of their own lives and then blame God. And Satan's there to really spur it on. 
I, I'm here to tell you there's freedom in Jesus. There's a wonderful life in Christ. Now, I always have people say, well, there's people who die for the kingdom. That's a wonderful life in Christ. There's people on the other side of the globe suffering for Jesus. That's a wonderful life in Christ. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say. And it honestly is easy for me to say. But I've read the testimonies of many who said Jesus was their greatest joy. It was better than human freedom or liberation or power or possession or anything else, Jesus. And when Stephen, in the book of Acts, sweet, sweet Stephen, his face is shining like an angel. He's got a great heart. He loves these people. He's sharing the gospel. And you know what their response was? We're going to kill you with a bunch of big rocks. Jesus didn't say, this is an awful, or, or Stephen didn't say, this is an awful life. Can't believe this is what I got for this. The Bible says his face shone like an angel. Heaven opened up. He saw Jesus. And instead of saying, this is a horrible way to live, he said, ah, oh, Lord, do not count this sin to their charge. And he looked up there, and he saw something that's better than national freedom. He saw something that Abraham got a peek into. He said, I look forward to a city whose builder maker is God. I look forward to a city whose builder maker is God. I, I, now, you got a new home? Awesome. Love it. Got a new this or that? That's cool. I'm serious about that. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. But I'll tell you what. Enjoy your home. God gives you everything to enjoy. Use it for his glory. Enjoy it. I, I'm cool with that, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying everything around us is going to rust away and rot away and be gone with a fervent heat. But there's a kingdom who's uh, a place, a city whose builder and maker is God. Then we get to enjoy him forever. We get to enjoy God forever. Mm. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, I, I tell my family, I say, I, I'm really, I'm not trying to be brave or macho or bold, but I'm, I'm not worried about dying kind of worried about how I'm going to die, but I'm not worried about dying, you know. I love to ride motorcycles. You hear about some avid motorcycle person having a wreck and getting killed. And they say, well, that's the way they would have wanted to go. No, it wasn't. They wanted to go in their sleep, you know, in a nice, comfortable bed. So don't get confused with that. You know, no, no, no. But we get to be with Jesus forever. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now I want to talk about being free for what? Being free for living our authentic self. Free for authentic living. I almost didn't use that word because it's been captured by the culture and the world that, you know, hey, real freedom is, is just be your authentic self. Uh, the, what the world and the culture has an idea about what being authentic is and what Christianity has about being authentic are totally two different things. So I'm going to stick with what Jesus teaches us. And we need to have what the Christian truth is, not the world's truth. Grace Lutheran on, on Central Avenue had a great sign on their thing a couple weeks ago. It says, are you being trained by the word or by the world? Are you being trained by the word or by the world? You and I, myself included, are getting trained a whole lot more by the world than we even realize because we're tuning into it all the time on our TV sets and our radio stations and everywhere. And it's teaching us its culture, its value, it's, it's what it considers authentic. But the Word of God says something different. In Isaiah 43, 6 through 7, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I made and formed. Our authentic self is to give glory to God. God, who, 
who created us for his glory. Colossians 1.16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We sang that today. Been created through him and for him. We were created for God. Again, the culture says your authentic self is doing whatever you feel right about, whatever feels good to you, whatever makes natural sense to you. But I can tell you, if we do what feels right to us, there is, there's a whole lot of sin ahead because a lot of things Jesus calls us to does not feel right to us. Need I remind you? Love your what? Enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Are you kidding me? That will not feel good to your unborn again natural self. It will not feel authentic. When people are hateful to me, you know what my authentic worldly self wants to do? Be hateful back. If somebody's rude, we want to be rude back. That's our natural non-born again natural way of doing things. But Jesus said, stay firm to my teaching, put it into practice, and you'll live a transformed life that brings freedom, that glorifies God, and results in a life lived for him. So here's our assignment for the week. We've got some work to do. Pick an area of guilt and shame and an area of selfishness that you struggle with. I want you to think about that. Probably won't take you long to pick and just... Just pick one for now. I know that, uh, I've got nine here. No, just one. Pick one. Guilt and shame and an area of selfishness that you struggle with. And then I want to encourage you to apply God's word to each of those areas. Do, do something to reverse those areas. Like let's say, for instance, that you, you say, I just struggle with the fact that I've, I've lived in sin for so many years, whether that's five years or 40 years, and I could have done something for God, and it keeps plaguing you, and it keeps bugging you. Just, just... Take like Hebrews 10.22 that we looked at today and write it down. You know, work at memorizing at least the concept of it. And when that guilt or shame comes to you, you say, oh, no, hold it. No, I've been cleansed from a guilty conscience. That, that was the old me. I'm a new creation in Christ. The, old, the old's gone, the new has come. And just do not allow yourself to get into that. Because what we do is we say guilt and shame is going to make me sacrifice. Some of you sacrifice a day, a week, a month. Some of you have sacrificed years in guilt and shame. You, you can be free from that. I'm not encouraging you to keep doing the things that cause guilt and shame, but if you said no to that and yes to Jesus, then, then you know, be, be mindful of that. And just say no to it, and here's what the Word of God says. Selfishness. We all got selfishness. We all got selfishness. I'm always amazed how all of us think the other person ought to do something. You know what I mean? Somebody needs help financially, and you say, I don't know why those people who got more money than me don't help them. Well, you got more money than somebody. You may not be able to help with as much money, but maybe you got a five. Give them a five. Well, yeah, but those people give them $1,000. That's not the point. The point isn't, <laughs> I just, it's like Jesus going to, to uh, uh, Peter, because Peter says, what's going to happen to John? And Peter says, don't worry about John. In fact, it started a whole rumor. He told Peter how he was going to die. And Peter said, okay, I'm fine with that, but what about John? And he said, what's it, what's it to you? What, what's it to you if I let John live forever? He said a, a rumor actually began to circulate that John was never going to die, that he was going to live forever. So uh, that wasn't what Jesus was saying. So they could give him all kinds of money. They could help them. They got more time than that. It doesn't matter. What do you have? Give what you have. Not ask you to give what your neighbor can give. 
Give what you have. It doesn't have to be money or time. It could be something. How about this? Sometimes you might look at somebody and say, I really need to tell them how much I appreciate them, what a blessing they are in my life. But then you think, that will make me feel uncomfortable. So I'm protecting myself. You know, sometimes you just need to step out and say, this feels awkward and odd, but I've been thinking about this for a long time. Just go up to them and say, hey, you're a blessing in our life, and thank you so much, and say, say a kind thing. Those, those are just two simple examples, and you're all intelligent thinking people. You can figure out what your areas are and what you can do to combat that with the help of the Lord.